So uh, earlier this week, um, Scott, our lead pastor, posted, uh, posted a question on Facebook, which is, what is one thing that's on your bucket list? And so for me, I started thinking about, okay, what are some things uh, that are on my bucket list uh, for either the, my whole life or like recently, or what is one thing that I could post on there? What I realized is uh, how boring and average I was. Uh, and, and what I actually created instead of a bucket list was like a nope list. Uh, as I was reading people's things that they put on their bucket list, uh, I found myself just going, <laughs> nope, uh, nope. Uh, and so I created a nope list, uh, which is this. Uh, there is a, a Spanish event every single year. It's called La Tomatina or something. You can tell me how to say it. It's fine. I don't know how to say it. But basically it's like 40,000 people's people every year get together and they like throw tomatoes at each other while they're shirtless and like squish tomatoes and stuff. Well, I hate tomatoes. I don't like tomatoes. I think they're gross. Uh, and so nothing grosses me out more than like shirtless people making ketchup with tomatoes. Like it, it's, it's gross. So I'm not in for that. Uh, anything involving diving into water with sharks. I love Shark Week. Happy end of Shark Week for you people who have watched it. Uh, I love Shark Week, but I don't love being actually in person with sharks. Uh, I like them on the screen. That makes me happy. Uh, I want to live a long life, so therefore any body of water with sharks in it, I'm just making sure that there are people around me that get test bit before me. Uh, yeah. So last year when I took the students to Virginia Beach, that was basically the entire time in the Atlantic Ocean was I was like, hey, can you stand there and can you stand there? Because uh, if someone's getting test bit, I have the insurance information. Like, you start justifying your actions, but it's no big deal. Uh, another thing for me is I hate heights. So anything with heights where you stand still and look straight down. Nope, count me out. I'm not for that. My sister loves lighthouses. I don't do lighthouses. Like, like I'm like, do you want to die? I don't know. I don't understand. Uh, everything about that sounds horrible. Now, don't get me wrong. I do have a bucket list. There are things that I would love to enjoy. One, the top thing, number one, on my bucket list, because number one was fulfilled, so now there's a new number one. Uh, number one is own a sea otter. I don't know why. They're fun. They, like, crack no, nuts open with their teeth. Like, it's just pretty cool. They run around all the time. They talk constantly. I would love to own a sea otter. I think that would be fun. They seem like really cool guys to hang out with. Um, I'm in for that. Uh, now, my number one thing that was on my bucket list, ever since I was a kid, this, this tall, uh, this little, this guy, hey, there he is. Yeah, I had blonde hair. How weird is that? Uh, so ever since I was this old, I always had one thing on my bucket list, and that was to have a family. I always wanted to have a family. I always wanted to be a dad. I always wanted to be a husband. This is something that I've always wanted to do. So this is my sister and my brother, and that's obviously me holding her. And don't get me wrong, it wasn't always this way. Uh, they brought my sister home from the hospital, and I was like, oh, mom, she's cute. Okay, you can take her back now. That was basically uh, how far that went. And, uh, and throughout my life, I've taken a lot of the wrong steps. But this, is, this was one of the things that was always on my bucket list. I was always like, man, I want to be a dad. I want to be a husband. And so when, uh, throughout my life, you would be like, if you looked at the way that I made decisions, the way I lived my life up until college, you would kind of be like, does does your life really mirror your bucket list? Does your life really mirror what you want? Does it mirror you wanting to be a dad? Are you trying to be a better dad? Are you trying to be a better husband? And I would say no, but it does change the way that we see things. And so uh, moving forward a little bit, um, this picture right here uh, 
when, this is when my life changed a little bit. Uh, as I was a camp counselor, I realized that um, this is the best place to find a Christian girl. Uh, one, because they can't leave for months. Um, and so uh, as, I was sitting in, uh, as I was sitting in a place, uh, waiting for the rules, not knowing anyone, I see this beautiful girl walk in. And I'm like, wow, if she's as beautiful on the inside as the outside, like, we're probably getting married. Now, the problem with that thought is, like, we didn't have a discussion before this. Uh, so the first week that we met each other, she decided that in all actuality, she hated me. She thought I was loud and obnoxious. <laughs> Nothing has changed, but, like, that's what I'm telling you. There's hope, okay? There's hope. There's things for you. So uh, this is a plan that me and, uh, me and my friend, who was the best man at my wedding, Derek, we decided that we were going to go on a double date to Applebee's. Now, luckily, we, pl- we prayed on her weakness. Now, that's not, sorry for that, but she's very gullible. So for us, we were like, no, no, it's not a date. It's not a date. This is just going hanging out with friends. It was a date. It was totally a date. Uh, it, we were trying to suck her in. And uh, so we went to Applebee's, and the waiter looked, comes up, and he asks the check question all the time. He's like, hey, are you guys together? So I look at him, and I'm like, not yet, but I'm trying really hard. <laughs> yeah. So from that moment on, she decided that not only did she like me, but she loved me too. Now, I don't know if she actually decided that, uh, but moving on a little bit, dating for a couple years, and then boom, we got engaged. And not only did we get engaged, but she is from the state of Michigan, and she was willing to wear an Ohio State shirt for me. Yeah, right. She doesn't care about sports. It's not a big hit. Uh, so, uh, so from that moment on, I was like, yeah, she's definitely the one. And then we got married which is boom, like, yes, we got married, great, one of the things off of my bucket list, which also gave me one of the greatest gifts, one of the greatest blessings of my life, which was my daughter, Kinley, who was just, yeah, which this entire, this entire sermon was just about her, and, uh, and so now we're done, and we got nothing else. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I see her all the time, but uh, I just like to brag on her, so but what if I were to tell you that I knew the way that this story was, would end? Like, even from the beginning of my life, I knew that this is how it would end. I knew I would be at a great church. I knew that I would have this amazing, loving wife. I knew that I was going to have this great, beautiful, awesome daughter that wakes me up at four with, like, smiling. I don't know how that works. But what if I knew that I, <laughs> what if I knew the way that this was going to end? I would tell you that it would change the entire trajectory of my life. It would change the way I... I made decisions earlier in my life, right? Like if you knew the ending, it would change the way you made every decision you made. Uh, And so for me, when I was thinking about that, I was thinking about football, because I played football, I like football. It's it's like watching a recorded game versus a live game. When you watch a live game, it's like super intense, and you're like, you do that weird like growl thing, like and you like start throwing stuff, and like you have those squishy balls because it does less damage rather than, like, real things to throw. Uh, And, like, even in the fourth quarter, your team throws an interception, and it feels like the nail in the coffin, and you're like, I'm dead. And then you're like, don't talk to me for the rest of the night, that kind of thing. But if you watch a recorded game, then it's like, it's kind of like, okay, well, the outcome has already been played out. It's over. It's done. It's even worse when, like, that guy named Billy or whatever tells you the end, like, tells you the score uh, at the end of the game. They're like, yeah, they won, like, 35 to 28. And you're like, what? You're the worst, first off. Second off, don't ever talk to me again. Yeah, because you're like that agitated every single time. Don't tell me the end of the score. It's the worst. 
But then it changes the fact if you're like, yeah, that fourth quarter interception was a nail in the coffin, but your team won on a last second field goal. But you knew that ahead of time. It changes the entire trajectory of that game for you. It changes your demeanor, it changes the way you act. It changes your entire life for that moment. So knowing the end of the story changes everything. It's the same way in our spiritual life too. Knowing the end of the story affects how we live in the present. It even goes so far as to shape our identity. But that's the end of Revelation. It gives us the end of the story. See, our destination shapes our present identity. I know Scott usually has you guys stand up, but I won't make you stand up today. (laughs) So Revelation 21, 1 through 8, it says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. He also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft idol worshipers and all liars their fate is in the fiery lake of the burning sulfur this is the second death see the fact that God has told us the end of the story impacts how we view ourselves in the present Paul Tripp writes you don't have to figure everything out you do need to know and trust the one who does understand and who knows exactly what he is doing God will not quit until every bit of his work is complete and each of his children It is significant that this glorious dwelling place of God and his people is described as the holy city. Cities are places with many people and people interacting with each other. This isn't isolation, but a perfect community of the people of God. It's a very social, loving place. Man has never known a community unmarred by sin. Adam and Eve only knew a limited community, and community in a larger context only came along after the fall. So here in the New Jerusalem, we have something totally unique, a sinless, pure community of righteousness, a holy city. Problems come when believers expect this kind of community now or fail to realize that it only comes down out of heaven. The city is not and never can be an achievement of man, but only a gift from God. John used the most striking, beautiful image that he could think of. The most beautiful thing a man will ever see is his bride coming down the aisle, ready to meet him. He said that this is how beautiful the new Jerusalem will be. This states, uh, this states the essence of God's desire and man's purpose. Simply, God's desire is to live in close fellowship with man, and man's purpose is to be a people unto God. The beautiful picture in Revelation 21, 1 through 8 is already ours. The curse is as sure as lifted. The promise is attached to the name of Jesus. When he said, it is done, it is a promise that we can bank on today. Our identity has changed. We no longer have to be those who grieve without hope because we have hope. We know the end of the story. We know that the tears we cry today will eventually be wiped away. Knowing our destination takes a little of the sting out of the pain that we feel from the curse. The curse does not have the last word. Jesus does. And his word is, I am making all things new. We are those whom Jesus is making new. Our destination shapes our present actions. 
So when we flip ahead to Revelations 22, 17, it says this, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let anyone who hears this say, Come. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the, from the water of life. The illustration about watching a recorded game could be misleading. God has already determined the end, and he will not fail to bring us there. From this truth, one might logically conclude that because the outcome is already determined, we can sit back and watch the game unfold. While it is true that we cannot change God's plan for the end, it is also true that God's plan includes human responsibility. Revelation ends with a plea to action. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Though this could be taken as an invitation for hearers of the word to come to Jesus, it is more likely a cry for Jesus to return and set things right. Part of our present action is to pray that the Lord would come speedily. It is an encouragement to be prepared for his return. We must be prepared for him coming. To long for his coming as bride waits for her bridegroom, it is also a call for those who are thirsty. It is a call to come and take the water of life without price. Without price. See, if you're wondering what sets us apart from anyone else, we serve a Jesus, we serve a God who asks us to come without price. Freely giving. So uh, it really is this simple. Do you desire Jesus and his salvation? Then come. Can you say, now, Lord, I desire to be saved. Give me a new heart. I desire to give up my sins. I desire to be a Christian. I desire to believe and desire to obey. But I have no strength to do this. I have the desire, but give me the power. If this is your desire, then you are freely invited to come if you are willing. There is no barrier between you and Jesus except your stubborn will. So how do you know if God has worked in your heart? Go through a little checklist. Have you heard? Are you thirsty for God and eternal life? Do you want him? Then come. It is fitting that this great invitation, uh, this great invitation closes the book of Revelation and the Bible. Spurgeon says this, all the prophets of the Bible, all the apostles of the Bible, all the threatenings of the Bible, all the promises of the Bible gather themselves up and focus themselves into one burning ray. Come to Jesus. Come and take the the water of life freely. See, our destination uh, shapes our hope. In the very last two verses of, of the Bible in Revelation 20 and 21, it says, he who is, faithful wit- he who is the faithful witness to all these things say, says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's holy people. Be prepared. Be ready. He's coming quickly. The author of Revelation is yearning for this coming of Jesus. See, he can't wait. He desires nothing else. This is his bucket list. The last verse of the Old Testament contains a curse, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Fittingly, the last words of the New Testament speak of grace because grace describes God's dealing with man on the basis of the new covenant. The end of the story motivates our response in the present. The only fitting response to knowing God's story is to take hold of his grace. See, there are no excuses that can keep you from him. But I don't understand all the Christian doctrine and theology. Even so, come. Because it doesn't say whoever understands, let him take the water of life freely. I can't repent the way I should. My heart is hard and I can't even weep over my sins or feel bad over them as I should. Even so, come. Because it doesn't say whoever feels, let him take the water of life freely. 
I don't know if I can live the Christian life the way that I should. Even so, come. Because it doesn't say whoever can, let him take the water of life freely. I don't know if I am worthy to live the Christian life. Even so, come. Because it doesn't say whoever is worthy, let him take the water of life freely. So is your identity rooted in Christ's future for you? Are you trying to figure everything out, or are you simply trusting in the one who holds your future? Do you cry out, come, Lord Jesus? Are you living for the present world or for that which is to come? How does your destination shape your present action? So you can choose from this moment going forward to listen to him, to thirst for the living water he offers you, to desire him more than anything else. No matter where you're at today, you can listen to the one who says, even so, come and take one step closer. Let's pray. Father God, thank you uh, for your word. Thank you for your word of encouragement. God, the way that you end uh, is beautiful and magnificent and insane. That you would offer this, this grace without price, this love and this life with you, living life in you, with you for all of eternity. God is insane and is crazy. Thank you so much for who you are and what you offer us. And no matter what we do and where we're at and what we're thinking, you stand there with open arms and you say, even so, come. We pray in your name.